0: Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald Deep Dives. This is part two of our East of West conversation. Today we'll be talking about East of West number 30 to number 45, the conclusion of the long-running Image comic series written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Nick Dragota, inks by Nick Dragoda, colors by Frank Martin Jr., and letters by Russ Wooten. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by someone who has finally, finally proven worthy of be an agent of the end times, John (laughs) Gulati. How's it going, John?
1: It's going all right, Dave. I'm happy to be here in this final year of our apocalypse.
0: Yes, this is the final year, and our big topic of conversation today is, one, we'll be talking about our thoughts on how East of West ends what it kind of signifies for both the story and I think just for comics at large. But the big question that I've been focusing on is the idea of sticking landings. Comes up in comics all the time, comes up in media all the time. It's a big topic of conversation for entertainment journalists, reviewers, and of course fans worldwide, whether it be Game of Thrones, Star Wars, etc. The idea of sticking the landing and that actually having an impact on your interpretation of of the entire journey, I think is is very interesting as we enter 2020. In um, East of West, obviously concluding with issue 45 is is a good a place to look at. One, did it stick the landing? And then two, sort of does that matter? And why does that matter? And are there stories where that doesn't matter? You know, something like Lost. I always look back on as there's kind of two camps. There's I loved the journey and I don't care about the ending. And then there's the ending invalidated everything that happened before because it, it bothered me so much, right? You sort of see those types of reactions. So that's that's the framing, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch more as we cover, again, this series. A very brief background, I would recommend people check out our Deep Dive Part 1 on East of West, where we talked about the first two years of the apocalypse, which were the first 29 issues of This comic book series um, if you want some you know sort of framing for what this series is uh, But what I will say is east of west is a It's a post apocalypse or it's an approaching the apocalypse story that looks at a in america Where basically the civil war fractured america into seven factions Okay, and that that is the framing for everything that is to come and oh by the way the horsemen of the apocalypse are real (laughs) and one of our main characters is death so it's a complicated plot again if you haven't read it i gotta say starting at part two of the conversation is is a a big ask (laughs) but if you're here and you're doing that i appreciate it and of course as always if you like the content from comic book herald please consider liking subscribing and sharing whether that be on YouTube to the Best Comics Ever podcast, or as always, if you check out my or John's writing over on comicbookherald.com, we'd love hearing from you, from your comments, thoughts, and um, you know, any any ideas that we maybe helped spark. So, John, this is the third year, the final year of the apocalypse. It's one of the one of our favorite comics of the decade. I've got it ranked in my top forty best comics of all time. How did the end of this series, which just ended here? in in early 2020, right? Issue number 45 came out this month. Um, How did it land for you, I guess, before we get into the idea of the worth of Sticking the Lightning? (laughs) Uh,
1: That's a good question. Like, on the one hand, I thought that they did a remarkable job of tying some stuff up. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a lot of dangling plot threads throughout that book, because it is a a Jonathan Hickman book, of course. Um, And they did a great job of pulling those together. But... On the other hand, you know, we talked last time about whether or not it, the, the book itself was going to feel rushed. And I think in yes. the end it wound up feeling, you know, a little rushed. I, I think the it series did. was still worth the read. I really enjoyed it. The art's gorgeous. The, the dialogue that we talked about last time in our last deep dive is amazing. But, you know, for me, it didn't. I guess I put it this way. If it was anybody else writing that ending... I probably would have been satisfied with what we got but because it's hickman i expected just a little bit more yeah and i think that might have been just a function of time
0: yeah so so i think big picture I, i had a similar reaction to this which was i enjoyed the ride i enjoyed the ending it did have that Game of Thrones is a rough comparison because that strikes up a lot of very strong emotions in people. The ending, obviously. But the the big conversation that people were having around Game of Thrones was like, there's no need to wrap it up so quickly, really. Like, the the fact that it is rushed is sort of a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. And with East of West, I didn't feel that nearly as strongly, but it, it did sort of... Be, it, I guess partially too because the idea of like with Game of Thrones was like you could hand this over to other creators. Yes. With East of West, that would be beyond <laughs> unprecedented. Right? Yeah. Like it's a creator owned series. This is the vision of Hickman and Dragota and, and Martin and Wooten all the way through. The idea of being like, Well, I'm done with it, but somebody else could keep this rolling, that that would not appeal. Well, I you know well, so- Garth
1: Ennis did that with Crossed. And there got some, and that's another apocalyptic yeah. story. And there were some good stories that, I mean, horrifying gut wrenching stories, but good stories <laughs> that came out of that after
0: he stopped writing it. That's an interesting comparison. And I, and I guess too, obviously like just across the superhero medium, that is the, that yeah. is the gig, right? right? It's just like, no, this just continues in perpetuity. So I guess that's not completely unfamiliar to comics. Um, nonetheless, I don't begrudge. This is Hickman, Grotis, too, and Grotus to end if they want to, obviously, right? Like they own it. Um, it did feel like there was a, a a sense of just like we we are kind of done with this in a way that as a reader I wasn't ready for necessarily, um, or the story didn't didn't bring me to that point as effectively. I like I felt like insight. there were a lot more there was a lot more story to potentially be had. Yeah. Um. Before we got to the finish line. Nonetheless, that was the decision that was made. Even if forty-five issues. Which is a a weird amount to say is too short because that's a <laughs> that's a substantial comic book yeah. run, right? Like, there's no right amount here. Especially for um, a single creative team, that's a lot. Yeah, totally, totally right. And the, and again, like this has been coming out over the course of six, seven years. You know, like we we've had plenty of time with this universe and with this story. It does its ending is interesting because it rushed or not aside and i i don't know it kind of enters the end game everybody has to get taken off the board everything has to you know we have to wrap up as many dangling threads like you said as as is plausible and i think they do actually a pretty nice job with that the actual conclusion is one that i on one hand it's not surprising but it's also like the book got we talked about in part 1 the idea of it's a kind of hopeless book it's got it's got very maybe cynical vibes towards the idea of like you know there there's a love story between death and and you know like that is in there but also it's kind of about everyone being the worst and everyone making decisions for their own Craven power that ultimately lead to the end and then the end is one of hope and of love and redemption and I I like that that's how the like Hickman twisted it do you feel like do you feel like the book did enough? To get us to a point where that turn for this universe feels, um, I guess, earned is the word that would typically be used there.
1: I think he was a little bit shy of the mark yeah. on that one. Uh, like, like you, I really appreciate that. That was his sentiment. That was the. I think that was part of the message that he wanted to give off. Yeah. Was this idea that you know, despite everything, that love can endure and that people can come back together. But in the um, In the actual execution of it, I don't know if it was in the speed of things or I kind of get the idea that part of that ending came about as, and this is total speculation and just me talking out of my whatever, my long box. Um, (laughs) But I got part of the idea that the ending came out of Hickman's process of tying up those loose ends and saying like, okay, what ending does this process afford me? Like, where can I go logically from here? yeah and, and as opposed I, to seeding to uh, sorry go ahead as opposed to seeding it from the beginning like he usually does
0: well and i think you can make the case looking back that maybe he did seed this a little more than than i realized um, again with death and jaolin like there's in the very first arc is telling us like this is a story this is a love story about these two characters and it's easy to forget that or overlook that because then the book progresses into the chosen and all of their power struggles right and then like again like there's so many threads in east of west that you know it's we talked about this in the first part it's very easy to on different reads be concentrating on different characters power plays right and the the center of the book is sort of always about death mm-hmm. and Jiaolin and their quest to get Babylon their child back. Sure. That's kinda always the center, but it also diverges and focuses so much on Archibald Chamberlain's power plays or um or any the Endless Nation, especially as the book gets going, that it's like it's easy to lose that thread. Now I think the final year we get a lot of like father-son stuff. Yeah. With death in Babylon, right? Like it is clearly moving towards this idea of of hope and of not being um of not being predestined to atrocity, you know, in the case of Babylon, right? And the of themes like, of, of family popping
1: up. Like you see the connection between Wolf and um Prince Freeman. And yeah. it speaks to like kind of expanded family idea the even the uh overtones for the PRC is all about family the love between the widowmaker and the um ah, the girl in the gigantic red armor like the the domino looking um, girl who worked with Domalux? yeah Domalux, thank you yeah uh the love between her and her paramour like kind of speaks to a family connection so yeah. like i i agreed with that but i lost somewhere along the line i lost the thread between Zhao Lin and Babylon as a connection.
0: Hmm. Like
1: I completely bide into, or bought. Sorry, bide. Jesus, I completely <laughs> bought into her connection to to death and the fact that she's got that one-way radio, which is so heartbreaking and good. Yeah. But spoilers: the the book ends with Zhao Lin having lost everything and gone through a
0: traumatic battle. Literally, everyone in her army dies. Yes. Except her. Yes. At the hands of. I think the Confederacy, right, of Chamberlain, yeah.
1: On top of which, this was after she lost her hands and her child much earlier in the story. So she is like the most traumatized character in this trauma Olympics that we are are reading right now. (laughs) And Babylon has just lost his dad, gone through a very bloody battle, had his vision, his true vision of the world (laughs) given to him for the first time, found out that his best friend was lying to him. So he's not far behind in the trauma aspect and yet at the very end they're just mother and son and i'm like i needed something to kind of work that i needed to see them have to work towards each other a little bit more
0: it is um that's definitely one of those things that it almost gets taken for granted as a well yes they have a bond their mother and son because throughout the course of the book we never get to see them together that's kind of the point right like they've been they've been stripped apart and by the end of the book there's just not time. There's just not runway to be like, well, let's actually say it's going to take some time for them to get acclimated to one another. You know what I mean? Like that's there's, that's just not the story it's interested in telling, and it's almost a fairy tale like quality of mother and son reunited, and of course they're going to bond. Like there, there's a sort of I can see that for a book as complicated as this is, and sort of nuanced in the conversations of politics and power it it ends in a very fairy tale like Hmm. way which is to say yes like it's kind of a happy ending for for babylon and um zhaolin and sort of for the world it's also kind of a happy ending for the world where all of this talk of building towards apocalypse and of armageddon coming the actual resolution of that was a a sort of like um if you like think about like ragnarok you know norse mythology it's a the end happens but it's also a new beginning i think is literally said by wolf at one point right um which is kind of a cop-out you know for a book that is here comes the apocalypse what are we gonna do is it it feels like kind of a cop-out to be like well we had like we had a little apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a we trick. had a tiny little apocalypse and uh, we're just going to start over now with new. I really, what it is is it's like the, we had the dissolution of the government structure that we knew. Mm-hmm. Like the apocalypse is on a American politics level, kinda. The,
1: and the but that's new been the case world, for
0: like 60, 70 years. Right. Yeah. Right. So the, so the new world is just, what if we had new rules and new structure for living together yeah. um, which is you know, which is like almost more of like a meta like is metaphor, I guess, as opposed to like actual end of the world stuff, which the book has been playing with pretty literally. you know, there are beasts, <laughs> there are horsemen of of the apocalypse, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't it doesn't I like that it came around to a more hopeful ending. I think Hickman a lot of times as a writer and as a creator, he gets um, a rap of not having a sense of, of positivity or of humor um, or of, of all these things like, oh, he's just he's super serious all the time and everything is kind of world ending. And it's like, no, actually, all of his stories, you think about Secret Wars, even in the Marvel side, they end on like gloriously positive notes. Oh, yeah. Like there's that moment of, you know, throughout all of his Avengers, it's everything dies, right? And the last line in Secret Wars, one of my favorite, like, moments, honestly, in all of, like, Marvel Comics, is Doctor Doom, and this is a spoiler for Secret Wars, so skip ahead 15 seconds or whatever, looking up, smiling with his face healed, in the line, everything lives. Like, it's such a it's such an inversion of everything that's been happening in the book. That's actually kind of what East to West does, too. It's just less, it's, it's less direct. Yeah. And it's a less direct book. I, I don't know... That there was a super easy road to to a to an answer. No,
1: I mean not in the thing. time that they had left and all of the delays that they had in the production of it. And yeah. there's been two articles that I've read that suggested this was actually supposed to be forty seven issues and got bumped down to forty five to be cleaner. Yeah. Which means that they lost even more issues on top of their runway. Um, yeah. if that's true. So and I You know, I like the idea, Hickman's idea that the apocalypse really just has to refer to this world ending and that all pretty much all of the bloodthirsty characters who are in the book are gone by the end of it. Uh Uh, You know, now you have uh, Wolf, who's up on top, I guess, of the power structure. You have Prince Freeman, who's still there and has kind of learned some lesson. He was trying to give away he was trying not to be aggressive through the book when he was trying to get away from killing his brother um that felt very much like him trying to try a new path and now maybe he has it with wolf um and this whole idea that you know a lot of the power structures that were causing so many of these problems are now gone yeah uh i'm totally on board with that i was did you catch did you catch the um the quote that wolf alluded to when he was speaking to uh the union when he was talking about why they why the the Endless Nation would have to rebuild the Union? Uh, no, I'm not sure. So if you go back, he refers to the act of nation-building, in this case, of a conquered people, Uh as his burden, his people's burden, which, knowing Hickman, I'm pretty sure is a reference back to the Rudyard Kipling poem, The White Man's Burden, in which Kipling Mm. said, like, it's terrible that England isn't an imperial army anymore, but America really should be! Like, you should continue and go take over the Philippines was the point of this this really backwards and regressive kind of poem. But mm. being used in that reference seems terrifying, you know, as a, as a tiny yeah. little throwaway line, which makes me wonder just how far away the old world is at the end of this.
0: That's interesting, yeah. And, and definitely, there's there's a version of East, not a version, the way this ends is the Endless Nation kind of comes out on top Politically, you know, with with Wolf leading things right like they they oversee the destruction of the Union, which is about as direct a like the Union is America as we know it kind of, you know, obviously like in this world. Um, So to say like Native Americans and their um, their generations of, of lineage since the Civil War have ascended to this place of power where they they will now oversee the structure of America is a clear like inversion of what has actually happened in our world, right? Oh, totally. and I think it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. I think that is true for almost every character that sort of makes it in the end. Is like everyone you would say you're potentially rooting for kind of wins by the very end of this when it has otherwise been a book and th- and this is not unfamiliar to comics or storytelling in general. It has otherwise been a book where you expect anyone who seems like a good guy to lose. Yeah. Right? Like, th- like this book has not been friendly to the just or the righteous, you know, like, and, and I think Chamberlain obviously is like the key voice of saying, of the cynicism of saying those concepts are, are ludicrous and not actually going to win. When by the end of this, the things that win are a mother and son's love, are a couple brothers and their love, yeah. you know, The dad's sacrifice to
1: do the right thing.
0: Exactly, the dad sacrifices, Um, like, you, like the ranger, for example, is on a hunt for righteous justice, you know, and he succeeds by the end of this, against all odds. So, like, all the things that seem like the traditional hero's journey solutions, they actually happen <laughs> by the end. And there's almost, because the book has been so, like, effective at working against that Mm -hmm. it there's a part of me that likes it but there's also a part of me that's like that doesn't feel like this world yeah um you know it doesn't feel like the right solution for the east of west universe
1: i think it needed maybe a little bit more loss in its win i mean them killing off death is a very good example of like how that how that worked to theme um yeah but yeah i would have i don't know it, it does end on such a tidy little note, uh, even though there's some dangling plot threads that we can talk about if we want to. But yeah, it, it felt a little, just a little off tone at the end. Um, it's funny hearing you talk about it. It makes me think that this book, looking back on it, is like 90% the dark second act in the three-act structure.
0: Yeah, right.
1: You know, all right. of it is downturn. All of it is heroes at their weakest. Yeah. It's a it's, an well, and it's, and it's a
0: book so generally devoid of heroes, mm-hmm. you know, which um which I think works yeah. for the structure, uh, really, with the exception of Death, who again to call a hero like he he is the actual Death, the embodiment of of the Horseman, you know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, so I think we're both kind of even all the you know we're just we're having the conversation so that the criticism comes out. I think generally like it's not like I didn't enjoy reading year three, you know, like this is still a fun book to live in. I think some of the additions to year three, things like Archibald Chamberlain getting up and turns out he's a he's like the most dangerous gunslinger (laughs) in this universe with his gun with a um with the eyeball of the Oracle. I mean that's an awesome idea.
1: That's a great idea, but
0: yeah, like that stuff was fun. Um there you know again there's just that like there's all the conversation about politics but then there's also the point where hickman's just like hey uh nick Dragota, let's just do some insane comic book action and violence you know like <laughs> like east of west turns to that and it's like oh yeah like this is this is a um you know kind of an adrenaline rush mm-hmm. that comics can deliver and east of west can do very very well so it has all that i think again we're we're clearly like yeah i don't i don't think it quote unquote stuck the landing yeah i think it it came close, and it definitely didn't whiff. No, here's it's the question. Still enjoyable. Obviously, yeah, it's still enjoyable. The question that follows for me is, does it matter? Because I was, so I was looking at, I'm doing a whole big reshuffle on the best comics of all time thing on Comic Book Herald, and East of West. I was like, well, I definitely wouldn't move it up based on having finished it now. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd move it down either. No, like I've come out pretty neutral. Do you think the journey here is really in any way impacted or is it just like it doesn't necessarily elevate it, but this is still a great comic, I guess.
1: I think the things that I loved about that book are still present all the way through the end. I don't think it does away with any of them, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think having a good, strong ending is important, but like Neil Stevenson is one of the most influential sci-fi authors going and he can't end a book to save his life. Like, every <laughs> sure. one of his books has a terrible ending, but I remember them for the journey up to that point, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I feel like there's plenty of other comics that are like that, that don't quite get the ending, but that middle act is so incredible, it's fine, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I do wonder, this is, like, so in in TV, it stands out a lot, it would seem, endings of shows. Like, I think when people think of failure to land, the idea the examples that I always reference first would be Lost, sure. Game of Thrones now. Um I don't know, even something like like a Watchman, a big part of the conversation was like, okay, I well in my I guess in my review, it was literally like, I loved this. I think this is absolutely incredible. Ooh, that ending, the last mm-hmm. couple episodes. Ooh, I got some questions. Right? And right. it's like that becomes that becomes so much of the narrative, which is kinda nuts because so, like, I'm watching The Leftovers now in, in the wake of Watchmen. Okay. And um, watching that show, I am struck now just to be like, Watchmen is so incredible. Like, this, it is so tight. And it is so dense. And just, like, the fact that it's, it's it just, like, there's nothing. There's, like, no wiggle room. There's, like, no errors. there's There's nothing. The fact that I would look then at the last couple episodes and be like, well, this maybe (laughs) isn't perfect, quote-unquote. It's an absurd complaint. Oh, yeah. It's an absurd complaint for what I think is ultimately, like, incredible, incredible storytelling. So in comics, I guess what I was getting at is, is there a lot more wiggle room for endings? Because if you wrap a series at 50 issues, people have been with you for so long, I guess, Um, in a way that, like, I don't don't know. I'm not... Fully articulating here, but like there seems to be a difference in medium here between wrapping a comic series.
1: So there's sort of two endings to that or two answers to that, rather. I think that with serialized comics like Marvel or DC usually run, there are no endings. You know, things are always ongoing. So Endings are unfamiliar to us. Yes. So even, (laughs) you know, I appreciate a really solid ending. um Man, like the ending of, um, not Milligan, the the writer who wrote Hellblazer, all his engines. Mike Carey. Mike Carey, thank you. So the ending to Mike Carey's arc on Hellblazer would have been the perfect ending to that series as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. beautiful. And I, I love that and respect that. But on the other hand, uh, Denise Mina came up, or Dennis Mina? Anyway, came up right after him with a two-part trade that doesn't have the best ending, but has the best punchline that I had read ever in that series. So like, (laughs) it's all good. Yeah. And on top of which, I give a little extra leeway to creator-owned comics, or at least heavily creator-controlled comics, because they tend to be trying to do something much more audacious, much like Watchmen on HBO, where maybe the point of that series is to push ideas or aesthetics or techniques further and it's not yeah. necessarily to tell the perfect story. It's more like to bash out some yeah. space in the um, in the ecosystem in the in the economy of comics, and say like somebody else can now come in and make a better comic in this room that I've built for you.
0: Sure, sure, right. Yeah, no, I I do think that's a big part of it. I think too, like when a comic book ends, there is just there's a lot less attention to it because again. You have to have stuck with it for a long time. Obviously, the audiences are much smaller to begin with compared to TV or movies. Um, so, w- if something like *Wicked*, *Wicked and Divine*, uh, *Wicked and Divine*, or *East of West* ends, which are a series that ended this past year, there's a dedicated audience and there's a built-in audience, but it's also on a much smaller scale. And, and obviously, this is a comic book thing where, like, number ones get a lot more attention than *East of West*, number forty-five in a series ending, right? Um, because you had to have put in a fair amount of work to keep up with it to that point and again like these are you know dwindling audiences to begin with um i wonder if that is a big part of the reason that endings in comics just like i don't want to say they don't matter um because they do but they're just they're not they're not things we talk about very often or celebrate uh because again like like you were just saying comics is so much of this idea of like a never-ending journey um, you know, so like, unless it is a graphic novel or it's a very clear, like, this is a limited series, like Mr. Miracle's ending, yeah. to me, perfect, is going to get a lot example. more attention and, and sort of the story's worth is going to hit, revolve around that more than East of West's. Right. Definitely. Like Mr. Miracle, we know it's 12 issues and the whole time we're, we're pretty tightly driven to that. Whereas East of West has gone so many directions and we've had so many sort of stories in this world. It's all been driving to an ending, but that kind of wasn't the point, you know?
1: Maybe part of it is that comics, when they're serialized, when they're going for longer runs, um, maybe it's that they just stretch out a little too far. Because as you point with Mr. Miracle, like, you could sort of, uh, an audience could feel that end coming. You know, can anticipate where the story is kind of driving, but not really know how it's gonna, how exactly it's gonna execute, but you can see it coming down the road, yeah, and that anticipation, right. and likelihood of reaching it there maybe adds something to the effect. Yeah, uh, in much the same way that I don't know that people are as excited about the ending of the Game of Thrones book series anymore as they used to be. <laughs> sure. Right. So maybe that's it. But yeah, I I think you're right. Comics are just such a conversation with themselves that. I think it's more important that they bring good ideas or you know, good additions to things and maybe, maybe stick the landing perfectly. Yeah. A, a perfect landing is a great thing to have, um, yeah. as seen in Secret Wars of Mr. Miracle and God Only Knows so many other things. Sure. But I don't think it's the be-all, end-all.
0: What uh, What do you think is the right length for— So comic fans, and myself included, I think often talk about a desire to have series run for longer— you know, like I think that has it's become definitely like so we're in 2020 here. Over the last several years, as Marvel has really kicked in overdrive with reboots, as DC has relaunched their line a couple times this decade, which for them is a lot. Um, the idea of books reaching you know the 100 issue run, or or even the 50 issue run of a creator vision, which is East and mm-hmm. West almost gets to that's sort of um it's sort of seen as like a lost thing. It's sort of yeah. seen as like the idea of a creator, a creators with a vision getting to play out for that long. You know, the Claremont X Men, right? Yeah. And, and the Frank Miller Daredevil, even, and right? All these runs that people look back on so fondly. It's mm-hmm. kind of seen as a lost art. Do you think there's a, is there actually a, a sweet spot where, so like Immortal Hulk, I guess would actually be a really interesting example right now because it's mm. one of the few series that gets to do this. It's primarily Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Uh, mm-hmm. With obviously various artistic collaborators, and that one is approaching thirty-ish issues. There's been a lot of talk about like it might go like maybe forty, you know, probably not too far beyond that. And I think everyone is like, I like I'm perpetually scared that there's going to be a solicit where it's like this is the last arc, because I just don't want the series to end. Right, the death of Hulk. The debt right? Exactly. But it's but on the other hand, the like it's good for things to have endings. Yes, like it was a good thing for HBO Watchmen. To end at the ninth episode, it was yeah. a good thing for that to be the full story arc because you can extend it and lose some of the magic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, do you think there's a sweet spot, or is it all just contingent on context?
1: I mean it's a it's a mixture of how much freedom editorial will allow, and how good a creative team is at you know, keeping together a story. Like, yeah. Mike Carey should not be allowed to write less than 50 issues on a book. <laughs>
0: yeah. his,
1: his ideas are just too big, and he's he's one of those people who are so good at sticking the landing that he needs the room.
0: Well, Hickman, yeah. Hickman certainly has that reputation of big, grand vision, and, and part of mm-hmm. his appeal with X-Men has been, like, a consistent refrain in the early going of, like, we yeah. have years of stories here. This is, I am not coming for, excuse me, for the miniseries Mm. and 12 issues. We are coming for two to three years minimum, right? And like that being tremendously appealing actually to rabid ongoing comic book readers. I guess I, I wonder- That kind of
1: stewardship is great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, and definitely I'm a fan of that idea. You know, I like that idea of less turnover, of more consistent creator visions- um east of west does that though and by the end of it i think i'm kind of weary i'm kind of yeah i'm kind of like i'm kind of ready for it to end as it's going i guess
1: yeah i
0: it's hard to keep that magic going i guess is what i'm getting
1: yeah like and especially an apocalypse narrative is so exhausting there's there's just so much there's so much tension the stakes are incredible at all times you know, you can't trust any of the actors on the, on the stage. It's it's a lot to ask of an audience to keep doing. Yeah. I I love a good, you know, 10 to 12 issues. There are some authors that I think should really only do between one and three years on a comic. You know, they come in and they blow out some great ideas, but they can't drag those ideas along for five to 10 years. Right. Um, as much as I love Warren Ellis, he has a bit of a reputation on that for for certain comics that he just.
0: Yeah, definitely. He
1: comes in, you know, his work on Ultimate Fantastic Four was amazing, but it's also the kind of thing that's like it, it's unsustainable. I can't imagine him remaining on that without it just being stretched too thin, right. um, despite the fact that I love the man. But I yeah, I, I think maybe maybe east to west was the rare example that either it should have been shorter or it should have been longer with help
0: yeah i was gonna say i'm definitely contradicting myself in floating this because we literally opened talking about like it felt a little rushed like you know probably could have used some more so to simultaneously say you know like like i was ready for it to be done but also it felt rushed like i'm it's a total contradiction of of themes and I guess all of it is just sort of a a vague sense of not being the perfect ending which again I think is this sort of pipe dream that as fans I I definitely get too caught up in in this idea of like well maybe it didn't end perfectly but I think often what I'm saying there is just like I just I liked this so much that that I just don't want to let
1: go of things
0: you know like there's a there's a almost depression about like well this is done now and what am I gonna what do I do next
1: there also some. There's something to be said sometimes about the ending being just really open-ended, yeah. So that the audience can kind of fill in what they need. Yeah. Um. That's a. That's kind of a, a cheat for authors and creatives. Wasn't well,
0: that kind of the Mr. Miracle approach? Yeah. You know, like there's a there's enough ambiguity to it mm-hmm. that you if you complain about it and say, well, I I think it's bogus because of X, you can make a case. That like well actually you're reading it wrong, right? I actually read it another way. Like that's that is actually probably the smartest way to end a comic. Yeah. Um. Because it, again, there's an ambiguity. Mm-hmm. All right. So ultimately, it's not like I actually have an answer on. Oh, this is the perfect number for comics. I just think it's an interesting conversation to have in the wake of East of West. This leaves uh, sort of the image comics landscape in in sort of fully transitional mode. You know, like all these series that they've had running since 2012, 2013 are pretty much done. Um, mm-hmm. Sex Criminals is entering its last arc. That's kind of one of the last guard that is going to uh, that again has been one of their huge hits from their kind of like second or first, depending on your opinion, golden age of image. Um, saga, I guess, technically is still like it feels like Saga ended, too, because it's yeah. been on hiatus. It's you know? too much time. Yeah, when that comes back, it'll certainly be, like, the last remnant of the era until it decides to conclude. Um, yeah. But otherwise, East of West, Wicked Divine ending, you know, it's kind of just, like, it's the end of a time of reading image that was incredible, mm-hmm. you know? When you had, like, books by Ed Brubaker, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Hickman, Matt Fraction, Rick Remender, Karen Gillen, like, all these really talented creators doing yeah. probably what was, at the time, their best work, mm-hmm. you know? Um here's a question for you. With East of West done, what are the books that are just like staples for you, ongoing long-running things that you are excited about in 2020?
1: I would definitely say Immortal Hulk. Yeah. Um you know, that's something that I'm going to see through to the end. I'm going to keep tabs on Hickman's X-Men, but it's also like that is such a big commitment right now. Yeah. There's really so is. many books I love that they're doing it, but it's also just like I don't know that I have room in my life to completely follow the whole X line right now.
0: Yeah, you're not alone there. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and um, I'm trying to think. I know that there's the uh, Adam Strange series that's coming out by uh, Tom King that I'm and Mitch Jarrett's and somebody else who I'm forgetting. But that's Um,
0: that's one that obviously is that's the 12 issue structure. So it's. There's so much appeal now to me as a comic reader of of that, oh, this is a Maxi series. I know it starts and I know it ends. And mm-hmm. it's easier for me, me to commit to pulling it as opposed to like, I'm going to take a chance on some creators I like. Like here's an example, Invisible Kingdom. It's a book written by G. Willow Wilson. It's got a work by Christian Ward. It's two creators I love. So I added it to my pull list based on that like expectation that I love these creators. I think this will be probably really good potential for a chance to be great. It's up to like issue nine now. Let's okay. say this book runs for 45 issues. Let's just right. say. I, the idea of committing to that long haul, to me mm-hmm. as a person running out of room in long boxes, <laughs> you know, like there's a certain, there's a certain logistic and financial challenge to that. Yeah. That is kind of, it, it's kind of a, I see the challenges of a readership, especially when you're like, well, I'm pulling Immortal Hulk and X-Men and I, you know, I know those are good. Um mm-hmm. but do I take a chance on a new long-running series? Like it's such a it's such a weird gamble, you know? Yeah.
1: And there's been a there's been a couple mentions in interviews with uh Rick Remender, with Matt Fraction, with Warren Ellis and a couple other creators uh just about the idea that the allure of television and movies is really changing the way that creative like creator-owned work is being made. Yeah. That more and more creators seem to be looking to make uh, unfinishable series as a pilot to to sell elsewhere. Yeah. Or you know they're they're splitting their attentions between the the series that they're working on for print and something that they're doing for Amazon or Netflix or whatever. Right. Right. So I don't know. I mean. Right now, I'm more interested in taking a look at shorter run series to see what kind of new ideas can be made, because this has been a great time of experimentation in comics. I, I yeah. think that this is the best time to get into smart, clever, unexpected comics. Yeah. And you do have some long running series like Hulk, Um, frankly, kind of like Daredevil again. Yeah. Uh, some of Zdarsky's work has been really, really good on Daredevil.
0: Yeah. I, I think that aside of from those things, though, you know, I those don't are know. those are also those. You know, they're Marvel, right? We're talking, yeah. we're talking series that those can run a little longer potentially mm-hmm. if Marvel will let them. Yeah, because um, they've got the
1: they've got the movie money to keep it going.
0: They got the movie money. They got the Disney money, and like they also have the legacy. You mm-hmm. know, whereas creator owned work and committing to a totally new world is like, it, it just feels like such a big ask now in a way yeah. that in 2013, it didn't feel like that to me, you know? Like I knew hmm. I liked Hickman's work writing at Marvel and I was like, always oh, writing in East of West. Yes, I'll pull that. Um, yeah. And yes, and then I, I don't know, I guess there's like, there's a thing for me and maybe it's just because I read too many comics. Like that's always a part of this. Um, <laughs> how quickly does a creator own book need to win you over? To get you to invest in an east to west style forty five issue run, because like I said, like with in invisible Visible Kingdom, I'm like this is good, it's good, but it's is it forty five issues good? You know, like that's a that's just such a tough sell. I guess a book that does it for me would be like Ice Cream Man. Are you reading Ice yeah. Cream Man? Yeah. That is so inventive, so quickly that I'm like, yes, I will hang on for the ride here. Yeah. um I don't know. I don't know if this is a if this is a time thing or if it's just a where I'm at in terms of trying to read so many books and and cycling through them more quickly um, and, and maybe having too fast of a turnover rate.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's there's just too many media options right now that were spoiled yeah. for choice. I could have seen myself sticking with Nick Spencer's The Fix for a good long run if it had yeah. offered that because that yeah. world seemed manageable. For the guy like it seemed like something he could have mined a virtually infinite number of stories out of and that brings me down to wondering i wonder if part of the problem that we're experiencing right now particularly in creative owned worlds uh is that maybe we expect too much of world building right now yeah you know maybe the the crazy investment that seems to be required in making a new comic like if you if you rewind back maybe 10 15 years ago Um, you know, so much of the world building that was going on at Marvel and DC was the Warren Ellis style of world building that you take a couple scientific ideas and advancements and you slap them on top of the normal world that we already understand. And that's your world building. You know, now Mm -hmm. it's, now it's the normal planet earth, but there's a living spaceship on it. Or now there's the normal planet earth, but uh, there's a government agency that uses super futuristic cell phones to solve crimes. Um, that, that seemed like such an easier demand on the part of the audience and such an easier offering on the part of creatives that I wonder now in this interconnected, um, Marvel comics universe in this, you know, gigantic running, uh, game of Game of Thrones and its complexity with all these other things, the return of frigging twin peaks. Um, if all of these things aren't putting, just an enormous pressure on what people what people can offer and succeed with in the market and sustain.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I th- I think this is something that um I hear like it, from the retail side comic shop mm-hmm. owners talk about a lot. So like I like to listen to uh, the podcast off panel, with David yeah. Harper anytime he's talking to retailers, I find that very interesting. Um, I also like Contest Challengers, which is Challengers Comics in Chicago. Yes. Um, they're they're retail Yay, Patrick Brower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your your home LCS. And, um, well, I, the idea that comes across a lot in talk with retailers that I hear is the idea of just, like, there it's much harder to create a hit. It's much mm-hmm. harder for, you know, for a book to come out, again, six years removed from mm-hmm. East of West when it launched. The idea of something like launching and being a huge deal in a local comic shop market. Now, I think there's a lot of complicating factors here. Like, for me as a reader, ignoring some of the Comic Book Herald stuff, like, for example, you know, reviewing image books and just, like, getting mm. PDFs, right? Like, because I have a website. Um, things like a Hoopla Digital, things like Comicsology Unlimited, mm. things like Marvel Unlimited, all these streaming service entrants in the comics marketplace, it, it has me less likely to pull books, I think, as they mm. come out, um, because I'm like, well, I'll just get to that eventually like it will be there you know six months removed or whatever and I have so many other things that I'm trying to read for whatever reason you know and these are all like incredible privileged problems to have I'm well (laughs) aware of that Um, but there's like there's an accessibility to these books that I didn't feel uh, six or seven years ago sort of during this image boom you know Mm. um, I don't know how much of a role do you think that has in in this idea that like image hits are dead you know, or like, the, it's so much harder to have an image hit.
1: So to clarify, are you saying that there is, you know, too much variety, and you've got like sort of an analysis paralysis going on, or is it the lack of scarcity, and the fact that comics now seem to be always available? That I is, I think it's. Gonna hold I back? think
0: it's more the latter. Is okay. when when I was getting you know, like two thousand thirteen, I'm pretty new to comics, mm-hmm. right, personally, right? Like I'm like two or three years into collecting. Um, like I said, like I've, I've shared the story before, like the new 52 got me into like actually going to a comic shop and buying stuff. I'd read comics before, obviously. But so at this point, I'm kind of like, if I want to read East of West as it comes out, which I do, um, or just read it, period, how am I going to do that? And in 2013, my answer was I'll get it on Comixology or I'll go to my LCS and I'll yeah. actually collect it as it comes out. The, the backup idea would have been like, well, I'll wait for it to come to my local library. Uh, right. once trades are released, you know, like that was that's always a really good option, actually. Yeah, totally. Um, but there wasn't just like, well, this will be literally downloadable with convenience of a click on my tablet because I've got Hoopla Digital now. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, a- a- ignoring even what an even bigger problem is in 2020, which is if I Google read east of west online, I will find three to four options where I can just do that with a Wi-Fi connection. Like I don't even need to pirate or torrent. Like the ease of illegal streaming. Yeah. I I think is the biggest problem facing comics that like no one talks about consistently. Um but even ignoring that, because that's Mm -hmm. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Like there's just there there are many ways that I have that are legal that are services where I'm just like, I can just get this book now. So mm-hmm. when I look at the list of 2013 image hits, Black Science, Deadly Class, East of West, Lazarus, Manifest Destiny, Pretty Deadly, Rat Queens, Revival, Sex Criminals, Velvet, all these books that launched this year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas in that year, I would have been like, well, if I want to read this, I probably got to add it to my pull list. Yeah. you know, And I probably want to be collecting this. Now I'm like, well, I'll just, I guess it's kind of just that wait for the trade mentality, but mm-hmm. it's also like, I'm 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 not even going to buy the trade cuz I don't have to. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. the the dwindling idea of them hits, it's not because I'm not likely to read it. It's because it's available other places so much more conveniently. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely a problem and I've been I don't know if it's a problem, that's maybe too strong a word, but that's definitely a thing. Uh certainly I have I have kind of grappled for myself, you know, what has streaming done to media and culture in general. Mm -hmm. If all cultural is available all the time, and if we have a kind of a selection bias for the past, because we're, you know, Marvel Unlimited offers a whole ton of older comics at Mm -hmm. ostensibly free. Like you pay for the service, but you don't pay for the download of the book. No. right. right? Um, So there's no cost associated with reading an older trade of Daredevil, Meanwhile, you know, grabbing a, a Mark Millar or a, uh, a, a Chips is Darcy version is going to be you know, X number of dollars. Sure. Um, that has definitely changed the calculus.
0: I mean, I'll tell you, I don't almost ever pull Marvel books for that yeah. reason. And yeah. as, as someone who follows Comic Book Herald might know, I read a lot of Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> a big part of what I do. I'd almost never pull them physically at no. this point because of either Marvel Unlimited or I'm just like well I'll just get it I'll pay for it digitally to read it day of right you know if if I take you know, save the important. shelf space exactly exactly like it's a again it, there's just that like buying comics and this is shifting into a, a bigger conversation but buying comics is like such an insanely irrational behavior like and I, I love comic fans and I, I love collecting comics but like actually going to a shop shelling out $4 for the book day of, and then creating the space it takes to keep up with story like that is just logistically and financially very difficult to justify.
1: Oh, yeah. And, like, once you buy one trade in print, you have to maintain all print. Or at least I do. Like, I can't switch between mediums. That's not Uh okay. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting to the point that I will only buy... I will only buy trades if it's a really special book. Right. Um, you know, Mister Miracle is one of the ones I'm like. I'm buying the hardcover of. I will hunt that down and get it. Right. Uh, or if it's something like uh, IDW's um, Artist Select series, sure. or their other you know showcasing series that are just amazing, the Artifacting series. Yeah. Um, those I will pick up. But and that that kind of gets me back to where I was in terms of comics collection in college. That Uh I really could not, I could not uh, justify going out and buying a whole bunch of single issues, especially because, you know, a project or something would have me miss one or two and then I'd lose my mind about not having the single floppies. Uh, So all I would do is go out and buy these old Marvel epics books, or I would grab like any uh, Bill Sienkiewicz or Dave McKeon or, you know, um, Mark Silvestri book that came out in a nice edition. I got immediately pounced on those because I knew I might not see them reprinted again, or at least so I
0: thought at the time. Sure. Yeah. No, there's like, there's a, I feel like the increasing, at least for me as a reader, and I, I obviously it's like, well, if it's happening to me, it must be happening to everyone. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I do think because the conversation extends so much to like, it's really hard to find this hit that's selling the idea. The book has to be a lot more special, I -hmm. guess, in order to justify actually physically pulling this so like and people talk about this a lot but they're like there's the collector market mm-hmm. right and then there's like the st- I just want the story market and yeah. I always fall into the like I like these for the story the yeah. collecting aspect there's certain things that I'm like yeah I love the idea of owning the entire Hawk I run or like okay so like I literally have every Hickman comic ever published like there's a <laughs> part of my brain that loves the collecting side of things sure sure um but mostly, mostly like I'm not a variant cover guy mm-hmm. I don't I don't need like you know I don't buy detective 1000 or action 1000 just for the purpose of like this is going to be a thing I can resell that's never an appeal to me the appeal to me is like I want good stories and I want to have those kind of just like you know I just like holding them um yeah. that but that level of well what's a good story hat like there's a certain I don't know there's a certain like specialness it has to hit where I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is a classic in the making. I have to have this." And predicting that is so impossible. You yeah. know? Like that's that's kind of what I'm saying with Invisible Kingdom as an example of like that was me taking a chance on based on creative talent, this could be a potential classic in the making. And I think it will go down as a pretty good comic. But sure. for me, I'm considering taking it off my pull list because I'm like, "Well, Pretty good isn't good enough Mm -hmm. to justify the the experience of pulling this for I don't know how many issues, and I'm not sure I would have made that case East of West era when I felt like if I'm gonna have this, um, this is kind of the way I need to get it. You know what I mean? Uh, So I I don't know. It's all it's all going to come down to to some personal preference and all that, but I think that's Mm -hmm. why we see maxi series and limited series doing so well now is the idea of like oh martian manhunter is 12 issues and it's done it's like a chance on steve orlando and riley rossmo for 12 issues
1: certainly you know and the idea that it's only going to occupy 12 issues in my brain um you know part of the commitment issue is how much of this gets stored in my attention or takes up my yeah you know my limited attention these days
0: well that's and that's the point that gets brought up a lot is like Invisible Kingdom isn't just competing against the other Dark Horse books coming out. It's not just competing against the books released that week. It's competing against my desire to go read uh, Legion five years later by Keith Giffen on DC Universe. It's competing against the history, right, of comics. Yeah, Um, but
1: it's also competing against Netflix, against Dr. Sleep, against whatever else is out there in in the ether.
0: Totally. Totally, yeah, and that is that is challenging, I think, especially for kind of newish creators, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you have, it's kind of like when Radiohead in in, in 2007 came out with In Rainbows and was like, pay what you want. And it's like, oh, it's this new model for for music. It's everyone should be doing this. And it's like, no, Radiohead should be doing this. Yeah, if, you're, if, if you're a new indie band and it's your first or your second album, you don't have the weight to, to yeah. get away with that And, and that's how I kind of feel about like so many image or just like those kind of third tier creator owned series, third tier, meaning like non big two publisher, um, those creator owned series where it's like, they don't, they don't really have the weight to, to do anything other than just like put out a good book, Mm -hmm. but building sort of a critical consensus that has everyone saying, this is special. You've got to get it as it comes out. I just, I, I don't know. It kind of blows my mind. Like how challenging that is today.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is also that what worked about those image books, at least for me initially, from the um, East to West era, what worked for me there was the fact that so many of those books felt like they weren't going to come out if I didn't buy that issue. Hmm. You know, it, it felt directly like this thing is weird enough and demanding enough yeah.
0: that I have,
1: to, like, I have to support this if I want to see this in the world. Yeah. And now- I don't know, so much of that feels like it's changed. I don't yeah. know if it's the fact that many comics that are coming out right now just don't feel as daring to me. I don't mean to say all comics are boring right now. That's certainly not the case. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of them that are exploring territories that just aren't terribly interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And on top of which, you know, it, 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 it sounds terrible because at the root of the problem, I sound like I'm saying that Indie creators have to try harder in order
0: to yeah, get my dollar, yeah. which right, I don't. Which is want always to sound like, like idea better. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: No, I don't want to do that. But yeah. I, something between streaming possibilities, between my like my my growing media consumption, yet my limited time in reading comics, has made it that I'm putting more and more demands, and maybe unfairly, on smaller image creators to come out with a daring book yeah. that feels like it needs my money or I will never see it again
0: right right which which is a comic specific sort of um, I don't know like it comes up a lot like the idea of like I guess we see this in TV too when people are like support the show sign the petition for the next season right but like in comics it's always like there's a direct like a more direct financial tie where it's like Mm -hmm. if I pay for this weekly I'm maybe really helping this thing live yeah, um, which if is it's a
1: Patreon. If it's a if it's a published book, yeah. whatever it is,
0: which is both mm. cool, but also it can feel very unfair. It can feel very yeah. like I don't know, almost manipulative, where yeah. it's like putting the onus, especially when it's from like the big two. You know, it's a different argument because then it's oh, like, sure. no, you have you have the money to support these things. When it's yeah. creator owned, though, you know, it is there is that sense of like I'm really helping this thing continue. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's always a weird thing to me in comics. Uh, I, I I feel like it shouldn't be on me in the moment mm-hmm. to make sure that Invisible Kingdom gets to do twenty issues that it wants to do, you know. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, that is how the market works. So that does weigh on my brain, you know. Yeah, um, I, that is a strange thing that. as a comics consumer. That is that is pretty specific to the medium.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I really do go back and forth about that about am I more comfortable being the one who supports this series or am I more comfortable with a publisher and an editor making demands on the creative to make something? Yeah. You know, where, where is my onus here? I don't know. Um, Yeah.
0: It's a, it's a tricky, I don't know. It's, it's like supporting local business, right? It's like, I have to, I have to throw some financial calculus to the wayside in order Mm -hmm. to do this thing that it feels like it's the right thing to do or feels like it's in my own like best interest in maintaining a community or or yeah. just like people or ideas that I want to see out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Again, if I'm supporting like like you said, like a Kickstarter or a Patreon, it's so much more direct where mm-hmm. I'm like, I know that if I support this thing via this medium, it will come out. Whereas if I if I buy, I'm just gonna keep coming back to it, Invisible Kingdom Weekly, I mm-hmm. don't know, that, that means Dark Horse will continue publishing it as long as G. Willow Wilson and Christian Ward want to. So in yeah. that regard it feels a lot like voting in Illinois where it's like <laughs> where it's like, well, we know which way this state goes every single year and mm-hmm. whether I'm aligned or not, like its it's got that like well, my vote doesn't matter feel to it um, mm-hmm. except in this case you know four dollars a month. I, maybe it's a weird bad analogy, but it's it's got that like is this actually contributing? I don't know.
1: Yeah. And then like, what does that do to the sense of community around a book or around a creator that suddenly it starts to blur the lines and we start feeling like their editor or their art director or something?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: That's messed up. But also Mm. like there, there's a a thing in psychology where they talked about how many years it took for the human brain to be able to really process moving images. Okay. Like movies and, and television and stuff. It took so long For us, like it took several, several years uh, for people to really get comfortable with that idea because it was something that the brain couldn't really handle. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way right now around Kickstarters and Patreon to some degree Mm -hmm. that we, I think we as a a culture struggle sometimes to realize that even though we are directly supporting people, they are maybe shouldn't be beholden to us, at least not Mm -hmm. in the same way as if we were a Marvel Comics editor or something. Yeah, where our power is absolute like that's again, that's that's more of a comics conversation later, though. I did want to ask you, have you ever checked out Brian K Vaughn's his independent comic selling thing
0: panel syndicate? Yeah. Yeah, I was. uh, So that's that was is it still pay what you want? Because I I believe so so when it launched with Private Eye, I was basically just doing like a comics poll for Private Eye, but it was pay what Mm -hmm. you want. Um, which I absolutely loved. I also read I read Barrier in print, but I think that came out okay. first via Panel Syndicate. Um, that's another that's another interesting one. It, again, it's it's obviously literally that Radiohead model, and it's also yeah. got those connections where it's like, yes, Brian K. Vaughn can do this, but obviously not everyone can. Although he's pulling in lots of different creators and stuff. Um, that to me has the same kind of Kickstarter and Patreon feel that you're talking about, where it's like. I don't know. I have to. I have to get out of my routine. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like simultaneously so little and so much, <laughs> you know. Like sure. I'm a, it, it just as a creature of habit. It's like I like going to the LCS. I like feeling like I'm supporting my local comic shop because mm-hmm. that is a local business that I want to see sustained, certainly sure. through whatever contributions I can make, and to take some of that away and say, well, also I want to support this pretty good online comics idea. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like you have to commit to it. Um you just you have to you have to really believe in that in a way that I I'll admit I haven't gone back since Barrier um to check out what they're doing. I don't do it regularly.
1: Yeah, I I bring it up because I wound up buying Private Eye digitally just because I was excited about um I was expi- I was excited about what they were doing at the time because it was the yeah. first time I remembered seeing a comic that really used a tablet properly that it yeah. was done in 16 by 9 in widescreen format. Yeah. Um that was that was so mind blowing to me at the time that I'm yeah. like, I immediately have to give this money. Yeah. But then they came out with a print version and it looks gorgeous in print. Uh-huh. Uh and it's it gives it an interesting layout and it looks different on the shelf, so I want to buy in that too. Yeah. Um I don't I think I might have bought that from Challengers at a convention. I'm trying to remember now. I think that's yeah. how that went down.
0: No, I 100% had that experience of like this Marcos Martín art on a tablet, which was yeah. like this is around the time I was like first reading comics on a tablet. Really, mm-hmm. um, it was like this is perfect. This is this looks exactly how digital comics should display. And weirdly, it's like still ahead of its time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like most comics are still not really crafted with digital first in mind. Probably, probably there's a conversation around like how they're shifting that way. Um, yeah,
1: I mean certainly the the online based comics that wind up turning into published comics as a as an idea. Yeah, certainly they have more of that in mind. I don't know that Marvel or anybody else does it that way.
0: You know, you know where I always notice it is um is Bendis written issues because mm-hmm. he uses double page splashes, but like not splashes, like he uses double page spreads mm-hmm. so much more frequently than other creators. And mm-hmm. I feel like I know this because. When I try to read his books digitally, it's much harder (laughs) because there's the minor inconvenience of I always have to rotate my tablet a ton and then I have to zoom Mm. in and stuff. I feel like I don't know if he does that purely for layout and artistic and working with artist purposes or if there's actually a little bit of calculus of this will read better in print because it's easier to read this. Uh, holding it in your hands than it is on a tablet i have no idea if that's part of the process but i always think that's actually a tricky way especially with scans if you're trying mm. to dodge scans throw in a gazillion uh dialogue <laughs> boxes running horizontally across a double page spread because it won't translate you cannot like you cannot scan that into a a readable um you know tablet version without
1: Having action carry over from left page to right page. So you have Yeah you, you know Spider Man kicking, you know, Captain America in the face on the right panel. So you've got half of Spider Man in one and then a boot in the other.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's always if, a great somebody, way to break it up. Right. If you published you know, twelve pages of that instead of mm-hmm. twenty four of horizontal, yeah. it's just it's like or if you all actually even worse is alternating, like it actually becomes Oof. way more annoying to read on a tablet. I'd have to I'd have to explore. Maybe I'll do that. In the coming weeks. All right. Any so okay. So that was East of West Part Two. Also, <laughs> a lot of where where are comics going and and how we like to read. Um, <laughs> which I I think like again because of when it launched and when it's ending. You know, it is that sort of like progression of the decade in comics thing. Um, sure. Both for me as a reader and also just for the medium at large. I think too, so big picture, I think we both recommend reading East of West, even though Absolutely. obviously we're concentrated on, you know, like oh, this ending, it's kind of, it's kind of not, I guess it just didn't, it just didn't launch the comic to another level, yeah. you know, which is maybe an unfair expectation, but it's kind of what you want. I think that's the thing that's been so cool about Immortal Hulk, another book we deep dived on, is this way it has like, it's building steam as it goes. Um, yeah. deep into the run in a way that is kind of incredible. I don't think East of West did that, but that's also very atypical for comics. It's okay. It's okay to just stay good, I guess is yeah. the thing. Right?
1: And certainly the the book was good enough for you and I to put a lot of consideration into how we would have liked it even better.
0: Yeah. So, that, that's, that's definitely
1: you know, the highest form of praise that you can usually get from me is me being critical about something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, because it's like, I've thought about this a lot, and I don't think about things a lot unless they resonate, you know, uh, for good or for real. All right, anything else you want to share?
1: No, I I think that pretty much covers it. I think think we went real deep on this book, and um, I'll be interested to see what we're doing next time.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. We do not have a February Deep Dive lined up just yet. We will have to... Um, determine something that is hopefully relevant and interesting. But uh, all right, John, it has been fun as always. I will come up, we'll talk here quickly about a deep dive, but I think for the listeners, thanks as always for listening. And uh, we'll see you next month with our next deep dive. Enjoy the comments. Take care,
1: everybody. Oh, and don't forget to support our Patreon.
0: Yes, please do. Go on over to patreon.com slash Or no, you don't have to do the .com. Just patreon.com slash And uh, you can support future deep dives. Thanks, everybody.
1: Take care.